Uh, so hello everyone, welcome back to Japan Archives. We're back to the present day now. <laughs> After the two old episodes that we had. Ah, uh, they were interesting to watch, listen back to. When did I said watch? To listen back to. I really like the stories and re... I guess relearning the stuff that we learned for the episode. Uh, I don't know what was wrong with the sound for the cautionary Buddhist tale one though. The reverb on that was super strong for some weird reason, but... You know, the stories were still interesting. What really do you think good. about them? Absolutely. I I I really did forget. And then I heard the first few words went, Oh, now I recall this one. And it was it was really nice to be able to go back and listen to it and really enjoyed it. It was really a lot of fun. It really was. I mean today I want to do an Ainu tale again. I found an interesting one that I want to read. I was I was going to say this to the end, but we'll just I'll just jump in as a unique change of pace. And yeah, it's a unique change of pace. Then say that Heather's Corner for this year, it has been opened up. Um, when I realized we had stopped calling it Heather's Literary Corner and started calling it Heather's Corner, I decided that, oh, that means we could open up to all kinds of new things. So we're going to have a few different things this year. And I am super excited to bring in the first first official Heather's Corner of 2023. If you're ready for me to s not sing this song, but Go if you're sing. ready to read Absolutely. this story. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to scare away the listeners. Um, but if you're ready <laughs> for me to dive into this story, I'm good to go. Please, please. Okay, so this story is called The Song the Sea God Sang. So this long story is a critique actually of the covenant between human beings and food providing kamui, that which is the Ainu name for the kami or the gods like we talked about before. So in the case of this story, the food source is beached whales, which is provided by the sea god Repun Kamui. And Repun Kamui is said to have been a rather cheerful Kamui, who seems to trust humans to treat his gifts respectfully. Uh, this tale does not easily give away the identity of the narrator, but many clues are given, from which you will eventually learn that Repun Kamui here has taken the form of a killer whale in this story. So, without much further ado, tall brothers, six brothers, tall sisters, six sisters, short brothers, six brothers, short sisters, six sisters. Here is how I was raised. Near where the treasures were piled, a daze was provided, sitting on that daze, carving new knife sheaths. That is how my days were spent. Every day when morning came, the brothers took their quithers on their backs and departed with the sisters. When twilight came with tired faces, empty-handed the sisters returned. Tired though they were, they prepared a meal, offered me a tray, and they too ate and cleared up, and then the brothers employed their hands busily in making arrows. When the quivers were full again, everyone was so tired that they slept with mighty snores that echoed around. When the next day came, once again while it was still dark, everyone got up, and once again the sisters made food and offered me my tray. Everyone finished their meal, and once again took their quivers on their backs, and out they went, and once more again, when evening came, with empty hands and tired faces, they came back. The sisters prepared a meal. The brothers prepared more arrows. Always, it was the same thing. One day, the brothers and the sisters took up the quivers and went out. 
I, who had been making carved treasures, finally got up to the days, to my little golden bow, fitting my little golden arrows, I went outside. I saw that far and wide the sea was calm, and from the eastern sea to the western, the whales were playing, splash, splash. Then in the east, tall sisters, six sisters, joined their hands to make a ring. Short sisters, six sisters, chased the whales into the ring. Tall brothers, six brothers, short brothers, six brothers, aimed and fired at the whales in the ring. And the arrows passed above the whales and below them. Every day they must have been doing this. I saw that in the center of the ocean, a huge whale, a parent and child, up and down, splash, splash, could be seen playing. So, from a distance, I fitted a little gold arrow to the little gold bow, took aim and fired, and with a single arrow, I shot through both parent and child. There, splitting one whale down the middle, I took half of it and into the ring of sisters I hurled it. Then placing the whale and a half under my tail, I headed for the land of humans, to the village of Otashut. I cast the whale and a half upon the village beach, and having done so, diving lazily into the sea, I swam back home. As soon as I arrived, somebody came running out of breath. I looked, and it was a sea wren, and out of breath it gasped. Valorous God, great God, for what possible reason have you... For mere humans, for horrible humans, offered this great bounty of the sea. Mere humans, horrible humans, axes in hand, sickles in hand, are chopping and jabbing, are carving and slicing this great gift. O brave God, O great God, take haste and withdraw your sea bounty. For even such an extravagant bounty, mere humans, horrible humans, will feel no gratitude. So it said, and I laughing replied, since there is something I have decided to bestow on the humans, since it's theirs now and not mine, the humans may slice it with their sickles, may chop it with their axes, may consume it entirely or whatever they want. They have a right to eat what is theirs, do they not? Is that all right with you? The sea wren loitered around, but not caring about it whatsoever. Lazily diving in and out of the sea, I swam slowly away. And before twilight came, I reached my own sea and saw that the twelve brothers and the twelve sisters, instead of hauling their half-whale home, had raised their voices to the eastern sea and were loudly complaining. At this point, I gave up on them completely, not caring about them whatsoever. To my house, I returned and sat down on the days. There, looking back at the world of humans, I saw the whale and a half that I had cast up was surrounded by splendid men and splendid women in magnificent clothes, dancing with happiness, leaping with joy, and on the sandy beaches rich rugs had been laid, and on them stood the nispa of the village, wearing six robes, binding with a sash of six, a holy crown, an ancestral crown upon their head, girding on the sword of divine right, raising his hand high in worship, in a manner as beautiful as the gods. With loud cries, the people rejoiced in the sea's bounty. That stupid seagull had said that the humans would hack at my gift with their axes, but instead the chief first took up a long revered sword, greatest of the village treasures, and with that he cut and apportioned the meat. Still, my brothers and sisters showed no sign of returning, and after two or three days at the window, something could be seen, and turning to look closely on the east window, I saw a golden dish overflowing with salmon, 
and on top Ritual's chopsticks had been placed. As a messenger which carried back and forth this message, on behalf of the people of Otashut, in a spirit of reverence I offer this ritual. As the representative of the Nispa and people of Otashut, I uttered a prayer of thanks to me, whose burden was thus. Great God, valorous God, our village suffered a famine, so bad that nothing could be done. When there was no food, you took pity on us. You gave life to our village, for which we offered the deepest thanks. We rejoice in the sea's bounty, brewing a modicum of sake, adding a small offering of thanks. We thank you, we humbly express. And so this offering had been given to him. Thereupon I rose, took the golden dish, accepting the offering, uncovered the six sake barrels at the high seat, added the liquor bit by bit, and placed the dish over the window. When this was done, I rested on the days. I saw that the dish had vanished along with the chopsticks. Then I went back to carving knife sheaves, decorating knife sheaves. After a while, happening to look around, I saw the house was full of beautiful chopsticks. The house was full of white swirling clouds with white lightning sparkling and flashing. How beautiful, I thought. After that, two or three days went by, and at last the brothers and sisters with loud voices came hauling their wail homeward. I had no more patience for them, seeing what was inside the house. The brothers and sisters were terrified, and their faces dropped. Everyone came in and saw the offerings that had been made, and in shock they prostrated themselves again and again. Meanwhile, the six sake barrels at the east seat were overflowing. Then I decorated the house with the lovely offered chopsticks, and gods from afar and near I invited and gave a great banquet. The sisters boiled whale meat and served it up, and the assembled gods smacked their lips with pleasure. When the party was at its height, I got up and told the tale of how I, concerning lest there be a famine in the world of humans, caused sea bounty to be cast ashore, and of how the envious gull complained, and how the chief of Otashut spoke grateful words, raised prayers to me, sent a messenger in the form of sake and chopsticks with pleasing words, and the assembled gods spoke as one voice praising me. Then, returning to the feast, the company raised a clamor of dancing and leaping. With my sisters passing among them as cupbearers, voices raised in beautiful song. Two or three days passed and the feast ended. Each god took two or three beautiful chopsticks, and bowing at the waist, prostrated themselves again and again, and all returned to their own homes. Since that time without fail, whenever people make sake, they send sake and chopsticks to me and my tall brothers, six brothers, tall sisters, six sisters, short brothers, six brothers, short sisters, six sisters. And now with no shortage of food, with no troubles to beset them, people live their tranquil lives and my mind is at peace. I saw you writing. Were you writing notes while you were listening? <laughs> I was. I was. I like that story. It's. Mm, it does have. I, I have a little bit of like tension and, and conflict feeling at the first, but then as it as it goes on, hear more of the the information in the story. It gets. Yeah, it's very. Oh my goodness! I'm trying to think of the correct word, and I can't think of the right one, but. Simple yet, in some way, complicated. 
I think in this story, it feels like there's some things that are left to be interpreted. And I also feel that there's some things there that would have been obvious to people who were I knew. I feel that the number six is somehow very important here. Yeah. There was the six brothers, six sisters, six tall, six small. The leader also wore, you know, a sash of six and everything. So six was very prevalent. Sake. Yeah, the sake barrels too. Yeah, and six sake barrels. So I don't know what the significance of six is. Mm -hmm. We've only ever looked at these stories, of course, um, mythological stories. We have yet to delve into the Ainu history itself, which might enlighten us. But for me as well, I got the impression that the brothers and the sisters were withholding food from the humans. Like when they went out, they came back empty handed. And when the god went to see what they were doing, he saw that they kept the whales in a circle. And when they shot them, the shots always went above and below. So I, I almost feel that they were keeping the food away from the humans and the other god knowing that the humans were in need, decided to go against that and help them. I mean, what you say makes sense. And I I was trying to, like, I mean, I was, I was listening to the story and going back and trying to say, so why do they exclusively hunt whales? Did it say they hunted other sea creatures? Or is like, did, I, did I miss that at the beginning? Because I, I thought I was listening, but then I was like going back and going, wait a minute, have I missed something? Or is that... I mean, it doesn't say that they go and hunt other things. It just says they go out to sea and come back empty-handed. And then when the god goes to see what they're actually doing, then it just talks about whales. Yeah, it doesn't actually seem to talk about other sea creatures in this tale. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's like their, their hunting is, is only like sea hunting, or is this... Because I'm, I'm presuming they're all... Were they all gods as well? Like the... I would assume... Well, he calls them his brothers and sisters, and I assumed they were related in some way. Obviously, we don't know their names. We only know the name of the sea god it, themselves. I I assume they were also divine beings of some kind. Yeah, it was, I was wondering... Because this is translated from, from the Ainu language. Yeah, the, these tales were collected by... An Ainu woman called Chiri Yukie, and then were later translated into English. And when she first compiled these stories, they were written in parallel in both Ainu and Japanese. Oh, I was wondering if like brothers and sisters meant brothers and sisters, or do you think it could mean maybe something else? Mm. And they used like I wondered that. How about what do you think? That's an interesting idea. If they weren't actual brothers and sisters, it could be more like brothers and sisters, as in they are a a group of people that are so close that they have come to see themselves as family, like that kind of brother and sister. Or I'm trying to think of what other words they could use potentially in Japanese that could mean brother and sister, but aren't. I guess it could, if it was Japanese, maybe it was... A clan oh. or a something like that. Hmm. Um, so family not by blood, but family by clan association, maybe. I feel like that's another another question we should write down when we get a chance to look into <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Definitely. 
because that brings up other questions like how many gods do Ainu have? They must have multiple as in, as in, as it Shinto has multiple, 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 <laughs> multiple gods. Uh, right? I, I think I've got like, I've lost track of how many I've, I've been read about, like 200 or so maybe. But when I have done a little bit of research about Ainu gods, there doesn't seem to be as extensive a list of gods, whether it's because it was never recorded or anything, but they seem to have a much smaller range of gods. I, I, I hate to skip ahead. I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. But one thing, since we're on this, like looking into mm. Ainu culture, the giving of the golden plate and the chopsticks i wonder if that's still like a ritual or the like dedicating sake i wonder if that's still a ritual now or if it was just for the purpose of the story i mean we do know that there are still ainu and you know even in the recent decade they've been still fighting to get their rights or be allowed to be ainu and things or practice their beliefs um, they're still very much were, it's getting better, but not much, but like ignored or been like, you live in Japan, you are Japanese, you have to be Japanese, you cannot be Ainu. So it is hard. It has been hard for them to still follow their beliefs and rituals. So I do wonder if it is something that has been forgotten or lost or not lost because we know it happened, but maybe it's not practiced anymore because it just fell out of practice hmm. because Japan was always pushing for them to be like, you are Japanese. You have to be Japanese. So I guess that's a, another one. We'll add that to our, our research list. I mean, something else that's, that's stuck out for this story. And remember the, the sea wren coming and talking to the God and saying, why did you help the humans? They won't thank you. But then the humans ended up being extremely thankful and, you know, praising and offering, you know, the different items to the god. And is do you think that's – was there, like, maybe an expectation that the humans would never be grateful? And that's why the, the siblings possibly if – if we follow the theory that you had of, you know, the siblings always kept it, never gave it to the humans, do you think that's that's why they could have kept it? Or – well, they, they, there could have been the potential that the Kamui, the gods, believe that the humans are ungrateful for what we give them, so why should we give them anything? But then, like the sea god said, I gave it to them as a gift, but once someone has a gift, it is, they can do whatever they like with it because it is theirs now, and it is mm -hmm. for them to decide what is best to do with it. If they destroy what you gave them, that was their choice. And it might hurt you or anger you, but you gave it to them for them to own it and for them to make a decision of what to do with it. And the sea god understood that. He gave it to them knowing that they were starving and needed help. So maybe he also did think that they would just carve it up and give it away straight away with no ritual or no thanks. But they they didn't. Oh, did you? I, I really like the part where the 
he gave the it was like almost like a philosophy or a, a lesson that to give something without that expectation of giving thanks or receiving thanks back and it felt like oh this is a good like therapy moment <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah just for life or any for everyone to just give I think it's kind of like when someone gives you a gift and you like it, but you don't necessarily have somewhere in your house you can put it. So you keep it, but like in a way in a cupboard or somewhere that people don't see it. But then the friend comes around and it's like, hey, where's the thing I bought you? Why is it not out? Why is it not on display? It's like, well, I still have it. I still appreciate it, but I decided to put it away. <laughs> I still have it and I still love it, but I don't have to display it. I don't owe it to you to display the things you buy for me. It's my choice. It's my space. I think some people, some people do have like both attitudes, like to give something with, you know, the expectation of being, of it being used in a certain way. And then people who give without the expectation of things being used and to not mention it again or to ask about it again. So it's a couple different kinds of people. I like that too. That's another, like, small life lesson <laughs> get the life lesson in the Ainur tale and then there's further life lessons here i think those are the questions i had i'd written down they were good they were nice questions no i mean i think i i i said my thoughts right at the start the thing about six seeming to be important and my belief that it seemed that they other beings or keeping the food away from the humans because yeah the sea god then said like oh i'm done with them right now like i don't understand them i don't know what not why i don't understand why they're doing what they're doing so he just stopped caring for a while and he did his own thing and when the gods finally came back they were what well, they seemed apologetic and realized they were wrong perhaps for not helping are you getting the feeling that we're getting, we're getting, there's another life lesson right there in this story. Almost like we have some morals included with this tale. Something to learn from. Which is more, which is interesting because I feel like when we've touched on the Japanese folk tales, we have tried to see if there's a moral, but there kind of never is. It's just... You got some lonely old people, they find a baby. You got a baby that grows up, goes and kills some Oni. He's a hero, hooray. So more of like, like an epic? Yeah, I think so. Do you think it's a human characteristic or is it one that we... <laughs> now I'm getting into <laughs> some psychological stuff. Uh, do you think it's a human characteristic that we, we, we're see see seeking the fables or do you think it's a learned just because we've had, you know, the exposure to Aesop's fables and perhaps like Bible stories where there's a lesson involved in Western culture, at least? I think perhaps it's easier for us growing up because a lot of people are brought up with the Bible stories. And a lot of people like in schools, you are taught Aesop's fables and you're told that these stories have lessons so you should always look for lessons in stories because they could be there and it's interesting you mentioned that because in, at my school right now in the textbook for the advanced class we've just done a section on Aesop's fables and you know I was asking them like oh in 
in Japan, you have these stories. And I did end up picking some Japanese fairy tales. I was like, maybe there's a moral. And I was like, what do you think? What is the meaning? And they really did struggle to think of, oh, a story has a meaning. So perhaps, yeah, because we were exposed to being taught that stories can have a moral, it's easier for us to look and see it. Because my students really struggle to understand the concept of a story having a hidden lesson. Ah, oh, interesting. I feel like this is a really interesting theory that I want to look into further. I might have to, might just, maybe I'll ask the professor about yes, do it. morals and stories. I'm, I'm sure he's familiar with Aesop's fables, though. I feel like he must be. But then again, he surprised me with some things that he does know and some things that he does not know. I want to see what's lurking in Heather's corner today. I can sound like I've got like a, a spider hanging out there or something. <laughs> oh, goodness. That visual just tickled me. Thank you so much. Even though I don't like spiders, but I love that visual. Thank you. So, Th Thomas, I have a phrase for you. and A phrase? I, yeah, I have a phrase. And I feel like I somehow think you might know this one. Oh, no, don't say those, because then if I don't know it, it's no, no, no. If you, if you don't know it, that's also okay. But I just, I wanted to give you the, the benefit of the doubt that I feel like this this might be something that you have, or I feel like it's something you would have had exposure to at some point. And you, so no, it's not meant to be, <laughs> I was meaning the opposite way as a, as a sort of compliment that I think you probably know it instead of saying, you don't know this one. You know, it seems a little bit harsher. Okay. The phrase is Ichigo Ichie. Ichigo Ichie. Yes. As in strawberry or Ichigo as in one five. Honestly, amazing that you, you just said that. This phrase, I heard it recently. So I know I was telling you that I have been watching the Akanai show that's on Netflix. Yes. And I highly, highly, highly recommend this show. It's good. You need to watch it. I'm going to rewatch it again with the professor. But it is, the phrase came, well, it's not from the show, but it was used quite a few times in the show. And I looked it up and the phrase is roughly translated to something about, well, let me ask you, what do you think? Because you just said strawberry. Do you want to give another shot what you think it might be? I'm assuming that means I'm, it, Ichigo is not strawberry. It's, it's, it's not. Ichie. Then it just makes you think it's actually numbers like one, five. This is when I feel, <laughs> I feel kind of bad that I'm like, what do you think it means? And it's, it's not related to, and I'm so sorry. So, I, tell, I warned you. I warned you I wouldn't know this. <laughs> I thought you might. There's lots of stuff you know. So anyway, it's roughly translated to like only this moment or like once in this lifetime. And the phrase was coming up. One of the main characters who was a geisha, she often used it. And she said, I think I'm allowed. I think I'm apologize for the, if you hear a pin cap, it's me playing with this pin cap. I need to put it down. <laughs> edit that noise out. The geisha said that I'm paraphrasing it. I hope this is this is acceptable and okay. And also, no spoilers because this is near the beginning of the series, so I'm not spoiling anything. I hope. 
if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched the show and you plan to watch it, please stop now and come back in later. Before she would do her dancing, she would always think this dance, I, I approach this dance that this is the only time and only place I will perform this dance in this way with these people at this time. So every before I dance, I always say goodbye. I say sayonara. And she said, it's like this Ichigo Ichie moment. And it comes up a few times in this show. And the really interesting coincidence that you just did was also mildly spoilery that when she meets this other character and she was telling her like, do you know this phrase? And she went, Oh, Ichigo, I forgot to get strawberries. <laughs> so uh. <laughs> it was really cute. You that's like, Oh my gosh, it's like just from the show. She was sort of listening, but also she was thinking about cooking. So a moment that will only be this moment is now. And I did talk a little bit about this with professor and he said that people treat this, you know, as when you meet someone, and I don't know if you've encountered this before. I've encountered this where you sometimes meet another person in Japan and you have a nice conversation and nice talk and you, you wish that you could continue a, a relationship, but it doesn't always work or doesn't always happen or you don't think about mm. exchanging contact information until after you've left. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've, I've felt regret like, oh, I wish I had exchanged information and I wonder if they felt the same way or if they were wanting to. And I sort of realize that some people might see it as this kind of moment where, you know, we had this connection at this moment in time and maybe that's where it was supposed to be. And that's where it was supposed to be left. And there's probably things I'm sure that you might think of as well. I mean, have you encountered something like that? I think I think there's there's times where you're you're out or you do something or you see something when you're out and it's like I'm never gonna see that again. I'm gonna see this maybe once in my lifetime. For instance, one that comes to my mind is when I was younger and we were on a cruise and the they announced on the thing like okay it's sunset everyone should go watch the sunset because at this part of the world normally at this part of the year when the sun sets there's a flash of green as the sun disappears so for me that's like a one-time thing i might never see that again so that was my ichigo ichi a how was that it was very surprising to see because I mean, why would why would it be green? You would never expect. You would maybe expect a last flash of red or orange, but it was like a green flash as the sunset. It's really interesting. Where was that? The Caribbean. Oh, I was almost wondering if it was somehow like I could see green. I was thinking Aurora Borealis for some strange reason. So maybe you were up the northern part, but Caribbean. No, we were quite quite central of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Wee bit away. Now I need to see. I know there's somewhere in the Caribbean there's pink sand. So I have green sunsets and pink sand. The two together, that would be very interesting. But I like that phrase. I want to use it more often when I'm doing stuff, when I'm out and stuff. Seeing people, or even if I'm just doing something by myself, mm-hmm. I could say, like, I might never do this again in this way. And I guess I guess as well that saying makes you appreciate more what you're doing in the moment. Like you want to Agreed. remember it more and realize that 
like you say, it might never happen again. Or it might happen again, but it's not going to be in the way that it's happening at this time. It's quite beautiful. And when I heard that phrase and, and the way she was using it, I, I wanted to find out more. So mm. there's there's a little bit more to the phrase, but for today, I thought that was a a good place just to intro it. And I I feel like we can probably come up with some other ways to use this phrase probably in future episodes, <laughs> I feel like. Mm. But the full title of the show, I only gave it the very little bit, but the full title is called The uh, Makanai Cooking for the Maiko House. And we definitely need to talk about that show here when we revisit uh, Geisha and Maiko again at some point in the future. Mm. Because there are, I have questions now, Thomas, going back to the episode last year we did on, on Geisha and Maiko and some of the oh, things they did when we did her life story mm. yes yes so we we have some things to discuss and talk about so <laughs> i feel like i have a homework assignment for you <laughs> <laughs> i look forward to that but yes thank you so much for that saying it's interesting but as for next week i mean i want to do something historical i'm deciding what it should will be and i look forward to seeing what will be in your corner next week as well. I feel like now I need to come up with something almost insect related. Oh goodness, this is when you can tell I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I look forward to <laughs> We're getting sleepy. So <laughs> that will be everything for today. Um, well, at least that's everything for me for today. How about you, Heather? Oh goodness, I probably have something else, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll draw the line there. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in again this week. We are now back in the present time every week now. So looking forward to that going forward. So until next week, matane. Yes, thank you. Matane.